Let's get past them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. And if you're ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to check out the Noble Knights Mastermind Group, where you will find the support, accountability, and mentorship you need to achieve your goals. Join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their capacity for life. And I got to say, we have an example of one of those men here on the podcast today. It is my pleasure to introduce business owner, investor, philanthropist, founder of the Child Liberation Foundation, a primary uh, investor and executive producer of the film Sound of Freedom, Paul Hutchinson on the podcast. Paul, thank you for being on and taking the time. Thank you, Ted. Excited to share today. Absolutely. And uh, I, I always start my podcast by stepping out of the way so the guests can kind of undo the uh, the muck that I set up with the introduction and, and clearly introduce themselves uh, and really just talk about who they are, what they do. It's a great way to just get insight into what's important to the guests. So please, the podcast is yours, brother. Please address the audience uh, <laughs> how you, however you'd like. Thank you, Ted. So, well, you, you, you said it right. Uh, I am the executive producer of Sound of Freedom movie. Um, I've had some very successful companies, over 20 uh, companies over the years, most successful multi-billion dollar real estate investment fund, but I do not count that as my greatest success. My greatest success is the fact that I failed twice in marriage and finally on my third attempt figured all of that crap out. I figured out what I was doing wrong in, uh, in not only attracting the wrong energy and the wrong people, but the things that I was doing to mess up something that was beautiful and could have worked out. And so uh, all of those things, my, my greatest successes is the happiness I find every day in the relationships in my family and in the charitable work that I do. Again, you said that the founder of the Child Liberation Foundation, I'm also the founder of Liberating Humanity, which is more of a global picture of, of not only fixing the child trafficking problem, but a lot of other things that we can discuss today as well that are challenges for us as men, as we're dealing with life, dealing with anger issues, de dealing with our own childhood trauma, working through that in a way where we're never ever passing that on to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I want to start with something you, you said um, early on with your introduction about though you failed twice and whether it be in, in, in marriage and in business in things that we try, because I think a lot of men listening could probably relate um, to an experience in which they've failed and we don't handle it quite well. The way you said it with grace and eloquence was as if someone who's grown past it or who has learned from said failure. So I, I'd like to kind of start with that relationship with failure and how that's helped propel you to where you are today, because so many of us avoid what could be something that works in our favor. Well, you know, especially in business, if, yeah. if you're not willing to fail, <laughs> if you're not willing to, to just deal with whatever comes at you and get up each time you fall, I, I had to change my perception of failure. Of failure is not failure unless you fail to get up and keep going. You know, if if I had finished off my second marriage and just said, you know what, screw it, I'm never going to have a healthy relationship and I'm not even going to try, then then yeah, then I could consider that a failure. But instead, I can say, you know what, I learned from her, she learned from me. We both realized that we're on different paths completely, 
And what can I learn? How can I look in the mirror and, and be the very best version of me so that I can attract that healthy relationship? And in business, I can say, okay, uh, I just lost a whole crap ton of money because of that decision and that decision. Now, the problem is, is if you don't have that conversation with yourself, then inevitably that lesson's going to come around again until you learn it, right? So in business, you know, you, you hire the wrong guys, you bring on the wrong partner, you, you, you don't do your due diligence before, whatever it is, if, if that ends up being a failure in that case, and you don't take the time to assess that as a man saying, okay, what did I do wrong? What can I do better? Now, here's what's important. Beating yourself up is never healthy right? You don't mm. want to live in this self-loathing guilt world of, man, 15 years ago, I screwed up in this way. And now, no, that was 15 years ago, right? Every single cell in your body is brand new after a couple of years. You're not even the same guy, right? <laughs> so so by, by, by saying, okay, I can learn from that, that does not define me. And that goes for everything. Let, 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 me, let me divulge a little bit into you know, the fact that almost all of us have had things happen to us that we haven't talked about, you know, things when we were children or whatever else. And all of us have done things that we're not proud of, mm -hmm. but that's okay. That doesn't define you today. Looking in the mirror saying, okay, I'm not going to define myself as a failure. Instead, I'm, I'm shaving a millionaire. I'm shaving a healthy marriage. I'm shaving a man who treats his wife with respect. I'm this is, I am a man of integrity in business and in bed, right? These are the things that you visualize and see yourself. Don't hold on to that crap of the past or inevitably you're going to bring that energy into your future. Yeah. Our identity becomes our reality because our subconscious constantly sucks it into our into our frame, into our periphery. And if we keep telling ourselves, don't go in the pothole, don't go in the pothole, don't go in the pothole, you're you're gonna go in the pothole. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, this is why when you're when you're working with positive affirmations, you have to understand how your subconscious mind works. You you can't say, I'm 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 not I'm not fat anymore. I'm not fat anymore. I'm I'm not a smoker anymore. And my no, your your mind doesn't hear that not, right? You you instead say, I only eat foods healthy with uh, consistent with a with a healthy 190 pound body whatever it is that you want to get to right i i'm i'm a healthy eater i'm i'm in good shape i have a healthy relationship these are the positive affirmations that you need to make to create the life of your dreams absolutely i think a lot of people and i just say from the outside looking in for anyone who i would for lack of a better way of describing it actualized or successful by any measure uh, kind of getting into the piece of transitioning from using failure for business success to philanthropy, because everyone that I've ever met who's who's made it to the top or who who's reached certain goals in life, they recognize that sure money, business, it's a never-ending game. The goalpost always moves. It's a journey, not a destination. But what gives that fulfillment and that gratification and purpose in life is what one does for others. I'm interested to know that transition for, for you where business success became, what can I do for others and where the philanthropy started to come into play? Well, what's interesting about my road is that, and, and I believe this is, should be true for everybody. I, uh, I had a mentor when I was in my early twenties and he said, Paul, he said, if the average person donates about 2% of their, their money to charity, he said, make a decision today that your number is going to be 10%, 15, up to 20% of your money and 20% of your time 
to making a, a difference in the lives of others and start today. Now, at the time I'm earning $2,000 a month, right? 20% of that, now I'm earning, I'm keeping 1,600, that was hard. And I said, can I just wait until I get rich? Is, is, that, is that okay? He goes, no. He said, you're gonna get rich because you make the decision now. And you can call it, you can call it karma, you can call it God, you can call it the universe, you can call it whatever you want to. There's a higher power very interested in us doing good. And, and it's okay to have a vision board with, with lots of nice things. I, I use for, for me in my life, I use things like, you know, a nice car, a nice house, nice travel, whatever. I use things to motivate myself mm -hmm. to do the right thing long enough for me to realize the right reason to be doing it. And the right reason wasn't things. It was making a difference. Right. But the amazing thing is, is that, that that by making a difference when I was setting my goals and starting out, then huge success came. In fact, I found that if I worked really hard at my business goals, I had decent results because I worked my butt off, right? <laughs> but if I worked really hard and tried to have a powerful, positive impact in the lives of others, then I would have enormous results in my business goals. Mm. And very seldom did those results come from my direct effort, right? I would make the phone call, make the phone call, make the phone call. I would do the work really hard in my business goal. But then this philanthropy side, I would focus on that as well. And then, you know, God would just pour out blessings, right? And all of a sudden, huge success over here. And, and, and it didn't come from my own effort. And I think that that happens because God knows that Paul Hutchinson has a propensity to have an ego. So he wants me to know that I'm, I, I had nothing to do with the growth of a multi-billion dollar fund, right? <laughs> and, and it happened all the time. I can talk, there's little things in the beginning, but just the last few years, there was a, a big radio talk show host named Glenn Beck who wanted to launch his anti-child trafficking campaign from Bangkok, Thailand. And it was going to cost $100,000 to get him and his whole team and all of this stuff to be able to do it. Now, he had such a huge audience that we knew that we needed to get those people to see firsthand what was going on. It would make a huge impact. But the foundation I was working with at the time, they, they had a lot of grandmas that were donating $5 a month. And that was kind of sacred money. We didn't want to just dump that. So I decided, you know what, I'll fund that. Myself and my business partner, Don, will fund that trip to, to Thailand and back. And we did. It was an amazing, got a lot of footage. As the plane touched down in the US, as the wheels touched down and I got cell phone signal, two voicemail messages popped up on my phone. One of them was from one of the owners of the, the founders of the largest hotel chain in the world. And he said, Paul, I've been looking at your numbers and I want to give you another $10 million into your senior housing fund. And the other one was from one of the, the funds that, that run the largest gas station chain and one of the largest chains. And they, they even a bigger number. And their two investments that those two voicemail messages that happened while I was flying back, my income from those two voicemail messages, multiples exceeded what I had just donated. Wow. And so, you know, I, I tell people I'm not that charitable. I, I just, I just need help running my companies and God does a better job. And so I figured it's a good trade off. You know? Absolutely. Well, I love the, the, the make the decision today because a lot of folks have that mentality, like, okay, I need this now. I'll give it when I have, but the reality is if you're not giving now, you're likely not going to be giving later. And and sure, you, you you might change your tone, but that that's yet to have been seen. But if you can give now, I think the Bible says, you know, when you, you give where it hurts, right? 
you yeah. give when it hurts, then you have the abundance for it not to hurt anymore. And it's almost that chicken or the egg that so many people have a hard time making that decision today. Well, and they tell themselves, oh, when I'm rich, I'm going to donate more. Here's the thing that makes me mad, that people that earn over a million dollars a year, the average is a lower percentage of their income that they donate to charity than somebody that earns under 100. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? You know, you, you've been blessed with this massive amount of abundance and you can't identify healthy ways to give back and make a powerful, positive impact in the world. In fact, on that note, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was a teenager, I had this poster on my wall and it had these Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all this stuff. And I had a quote that said, he who has the most toys wins, right? That was my goal. Well, I have one now that says, he who has a powerful, positive impact in the most lives wins. Mm. That's what it's all about. Yeah. How did you land on human trafficking in your philanthropy? How did the the foundation and the uh, inception of the Child Liberation Foundation come into play? How how did that all come together? Well, you know, when when my mentor told me you should start donating twenty percent of your time and money to charity, I, I didn't. I was I was going all different directions. Okay, as a guy on the side of the street, he's got a sign. He needs some money, you know, and I give him money, and he goes and buys drugs with him. I'm like, oh, okay, I I don't I can't control where that's going. I don't. Did he make bad decisions to get him there? Can I? Do I need to be you know philanthropic? I I had a hard time with a lot of different charities that were out there. Right? How much of it was really going to the the cause, et cetera? And so, for me, I I decided to focus my attention on the truly innocent, on children, on you know, a nine-year-old child in a position completely outside of any decisions that she made in her life to get her there. Now, that's not judging the guys, kind of, but the, the guys who are on the side of the street, because I don't know. I don't know what decisions they made or what bad things that happened to them, right? Mm -hmm. But in this situation, I can be totally assured that a child who's at Primary Children's Hospital that is suffering from cancer, she she didn't get that from smoking for 40 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there, there was... That the, the, the level of innocence that was there motivated me to focus my philanthropic money and time on, on children. So I served on a lot of different boards. I raised some money for some different places, a lot of it. And then I was on the Make-A-Wish board of directors for seven years. So I was the incoming chairman for Make-A-Wish in our area. Beautiful organization, granting life-saving wishes. To, I mean, granting wishes to, and I, I'm going to say that life-saving because these kids had, had diseases and challenges that were, that could, were very life-threatening and giving them that hope was life-saving in a lot of ways. It was super beautiful. But then I got a, I got a phone call from our attorney general and uh, he said, Paul, he said, I, I know you're very involved in child-related charities. Um, I need to talk to you about the something that's super dark. I said, worse than, than a child dying of cancer. You know, I don't, I don't understand what's worse. And he goes, this is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. And good people don't even know that it's happening. Mm. I said, okay, what is that drugs? He goes, no, the fastest growing is human trafficking. He said, and it's now the second most profitable. It surpassed the illegal arms trade. It's soon going to surpass the drug trade. And he said, and I want to talk to you specifically about child trafficking. I said, but people buying and selling kids? I mean, that's even on the radar. I mean, who, who would do something like that? He said, well, there's a Homeland Security agent who's in Cartagena, Colombia. He's found some children down there. He 
some money and some support for a foundation he's trying to put together. And uh, so he introduced me to this guy. And um, what impressed me was the fact that there were a bunch of really good men and women, some Navy SEALs, Green Berets who were who were retired, who were wanting to be a part of this, that that had all been brought together. And uh, so I helped to introduce him to some people. And a few weeks later, he called me and he said, Paul, I'm in Cartagena, Colombia. There's not just 20 children. He said, there's more than 50 that we've identified in these trafficking networks here. There's more than 100 children, if you count some of the other cities that we want to take down at the same time. He said, we believe we can rescue all of these victims on the same day, but I need your help. And I said, well, how much, how much do you need? Thinking I could write a check. And he said, I need you. Can you be in Columbia in two days? Now, at the time, I was running a successful real estate investment fund. And I said, so, so why me? He said, well, you know, he, he knew more about my background than most people. I had, I had had a special set of skills from a previous life that makes me somewhat safe in a dangerous place. But he, he said, I need somebody that can negotiate a multi-million dollar real estate transaction with the traffickers. He said, the head trafficker down here has a piece of property he wants to develop into a child brothel sex resort. He needs a, a few million dollars to build it out. He has... He believes he can make tens of millions of dollars a year from Americans coming down that he can sell these children to. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is super dark, you know, that, that he can make that much money. Is there that kind of a demand? And he said, I said, so what is my role? He said, well, you come down as you. He said, I need you here in two days. He said, you come down and tell them, yeah, I'm willing to invest in your project in this resort, this sex resort under one condition. We're going to have a party in the next couple of weeks. You bring all your existing inventory because we needed to figure out how to bring all the children to the same place at the same time so that we could rescue them all. I said, you show up with these kids. I'm going to bring a bunch of my buddies who are into stuff like that. If we're happy, I'll fund your deal. So that's how things got started. And, and you know, that's the... The, the Sound of Freedom movie, we took that rescue and about eight others. We combined them together. The, the truth is there's probably 50 operators that we had to, to pull together into about five characters in that, in that film. But those things really did happen, except yeah. for the very end when you know we're getting shot out and whatever. I was in the jungle there with the, some guys, and we didn't get shot out. But, but, uh, but they, they, were, they were trafficking kids there in the jungle as well. So... Anyway, that's um, that's kind of a broad history. Um, the the thing that changed my life, though, Ted, was this: I'm sitting there negotiating with these traffickers, mm -hmm. and um, one of them leans forward and hands me his phone. He goes, "Pablo, I have a gift for you," and he hands me his phone. And there's a picture of an 11 year old girl on his phone. He said, "This is Princess. She's still a virgin." We just took delivery of some. And I thought, this is, if we can get these kids out before they're ever raped the first time, that would be a miracle. And uh, in the movie, my driver gives me a, a photo of this little 11-year-old, and that convinces me to go undercover to help find these kids. In real life, I was already there. I was in Cartagena, Colombia. I was at a restaurant. This guy hands me his phone. There's a picture of this little girl. And... Um, they ended up bringing her to the party. In the movie, we kind of separated that a little bit. But I'm sitting there in a chair 
at this party. They had brought 54 children. And the trafficker gets up and he said, Pablo, I have to show you the gifts that I brought you. And this is what changed my life. He went in the house where the children were because they're in this Palapa area separated because we don't want them seeing the guns and the you know, money changing hands, et cetera. He's in there and we could hear a couple of the children crying, so scared. They thought this was, this was the time that this horrible thing was going to happen to them. And um, he comes back out and he has four virgins scared to death. Three little girls, one little boy. This little boy was a little black boy. I think that they they said that they had got him from Haiti. They gave he was eleven. They gave him cocaine that morning because he was so scared. What kind of dumb monster thinks that that's attractive? You know, every cell in my body wanted to just hug these kids and say, "You're going to be fine. You're going to see your parents." I I couldn't say that, and I'm sitting on this chair, and this little girl. They bring this girl out, the same one he showed me in that picture. And I'm sitting down, she's standing up, we're almost eye level. And all I could see is fear in her eyes as she looked at me. And I wanted to say, no, it's not, it's not, you're going to see your parents. I couldn't, I couldn't say that. We're undercover. You know, and I'm, 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 I, I, I said, come on, what's your name? And she didn't answer. I'm sure it's because her real name wasn't Princess. Hmm. You know, she was scared trying to figure out what the traffickers wanted her to say. I took her little hands. I said, Estebien, it's okay. And she went back in the house. I told the traffickers, it's not time for the party yet. You know, we got to still negotiate, send them back into the house. And, and I had made a commitment at that moment, sitting there, looking into her eyes. I made a commitment to myself, to God, to that little girl, and to all children who are going through that kind of hell. I made that commitment that I would eradicate that evil from the face of the earth. And so I ended up retiring from my job early so I could focus full-time on philanthropy work. Uh, we, I've worked with a number of other foundations. I started the, the Child Liberation Foundation about three years later. And, um, and I, I just started that one so that I could put my own money in and fund my own rescues, et cetera. I didn't want to be using other people's money from the other foundations to do that. And um, and recently, I've just gone public the last few months. I have zero social media. Well, I was like 50 followers on my Instagram, but there was nothing about these rescue missions, et cetera. And, uh, and just in the last three months, we've had almost 50 million. This isn't including the movie. This is just you know, a podcast wow. with good people like yourself that are good people that are watching and saying, okay, how, how can I keep my kids safe? What do I need to do to, to fix this problem from a global standpoint? What do we need to do together as men to liberate humanity? What does that look like? Who was Paul before that phone call where they said, Hey, I need to talk to you. And who, who's Paul now? I was, uh, I wasn't Paul Hutchinson. I was Paul Evan Hutchinson, right? I, I, I had a multi-billion dollar company. I had the biggest parties at my house. I, I wasn't doing anything illegal, but you know, all of the NBA players in the city have been to my house at crazy parties, you know? And, and, and I, was, I thought that was the epitome of success, right? I, I, I thought that if I had a party and, and I had a, a senator's aide call me and say, hey, why wasn't he invited? I, I had made it, right? Because mm -hmm. that, was, that was like the cool factor of, of who had the events, who had the cars, who had the, all of that stuff. And, and, uh, but I was, 
I was miserable in my personal life. And, um, and, and I was doing a lot of philanthropy, but I was living in this bubble. I was living in this bubble that I had, I created. It was a nice bubble, right? It was nice hotels. It was traveling the world. It was, there was, there was a lot of niceness in my bubble and having no idea the atrocities that were going on in the world. Mm. But after I was there firsthand and saw it, I couldn't unsee that. And so I said, you know what, we've got to create a movement. We've got to get this information out. I've got to, uh, whatever, whatever I need to do, lead undercover rescues. And I've, I've led or played a key part in over 70 undercover rescue operations in the last 10 years and, and walked away from, you know, building this. My, in fact, my business partner called me right before I, I got in the phone call. And uh, I had another business partner there that heard while I was just committing to go to Colombia on this mission. And my other, the co-founder of, of the fund, John Pennington, called me. He's, uh, he and I co-founded it together. And he, he called me up and he said, Paul, um, have you thought this through? He said, this is really dangerous. He said, you're set. You, you, you've got this beautiful lifestyle. You've got, he said, we keep going like this. We could end up buying an island and you could, you know, be happy the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I said, John, would I really be happy if I bought an island, if I bought a jet, if I bought a yacht, if I, I said, if I was doing something else dangerous, if I was climbing Everest tomorrow, you and you and I would have the same conversation. He said, yeah, we, we probably would. I said, and when I'm 95 years old and I look back on my life and I say, I, I, I climbed this mountain, I helped build this multi-billion dollar company, I helped rescue this many children from slavery, which one of them matters at all? Powerful, positive impact, right? Yeah. Powerful, positive impact. I know a lot of men listening probably, um, I'm not even going to say probably, I'll take that out intentionally. Uh, want to elevate themselves to have a positive impact on on their family um on their community on the world even how can our average listener maybe we're not extremely successful we could do our 10 20 percent but still working on scaling our business still taking care of a family how can the the man still elevating himself help pour in and really continue to push forward and be a positive light in the community? How can us as men fight this fight without being on the front lines? Absolutely. Here's, here's what's beautiful. Um, you know, the, 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 the worst thing that somebody could do after going and watching Sound of Freedom is to go want to be a Rambo. You know, let's go down to Columbia and go rescue some kids. You know, you're going to get shot. And you'll probably get arrested. Right? Dis disclaimer, I think you <laughs> trained with CIA, the SEALs, and the 70 operations were in like 15 countries, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is not the answer. The answer True. is go home, hug your kids, and look in the mirror. So let me go down those two roads. Number one, with your kids. The, the, the things that were depicted in the movie really do happen, but it's, it's a rarity. The, the number of children that are in trafficking that, that don't, normally doesn't come from a healthy family where somebody takes one of the kids, puts them in a container ship, takes them to another country. That doesn't happen very often. What does happen is the kids that are taken are from broken 
families. They're from a broken foster care program. They're from runaways. They're from, you know, other, other challenges in, in the family itself. Um, but in addition to the ones who are physically taken somewhere, there's a huge percentage of children who are trafficked who sleep in their own beds at night. Okay. Mm -hmm. And not just trafficked, ones who are abused. Literally, one in every four women that you know have been a victim of sexual violence as a child. Wow. As a child. Now, for men, it's a little bit less. It's one in every five at some time in their life. About 20% at some time in their life have been a victim of sexual violence. However, the majority of them, it happened under 18 years old. In fact, one fourth of them, it was under 10 years old in their own homes. Meaning you walk out in your front porch, you look left, you look right. Chances are there's a few of those homes that are a dangerous place for children. So having a relationship with your kids where they can very comfortably come to you and say, hey, dad, um, I feel uncomfortable when uh, when you make me hug Uncle Harry, or, or I, I, feel, I feel uncomfortable when I go to this friend's house because her, her brother touches me like this. Or, 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 you know, our babysitter is showing us pornography and says that we should shoot, trust her more than you. These are, these are grooming signs. And we need to have a healthy relationship with our kids where they can come to you comfortably and say, these things are, are not right. That's so important. Now, the other thing as men that is more important than anything is this. With the numbers as high as they are, literally one out of five of us have been through that kind of hell at some time in their, our life and a lot as a child. It's super important that we figure out how to shed that trauma. And the most important thing you can do is just talk about it. Just, just not hide it. People are like, guys are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything. You know, I was eight years old. My uncle did this. And you know, it makes me less of a man if I say something. No, it doesn't. Less of a man. You were eight, right? That was, that was somebody that was dealing with some really, it was a bad, lots of negative energy. He was pouring that garbage on you. He was passing his trauma on to you. That doesn't define you. You don't have to go out and have unhealthy sexual relationships just to prove that you're not attracted to your uncle. Are you kidding me? No, you can shed all of that. Just like we talked about earlier, every cell in your body is brand new, brand new within the last couple hours, I mean, last few years, right? You're not the same person. And we can shed that trauma. And in doing so, we can, we can take the first major step, major, major step to not only eradicating child trafficking, but to fixing this generational trauma. So let me, let me, let me explain. Two-thirds of men who have dealt with that kind of trauma as a child, two-thirds of them, God bless them, they've grown up to be protectors. Because of what happened to them, they're, they're protecting innocence at all costs, right? However, one out of every three, if not given the help that they need, become contact offenders themselves to multiple victims. So people ask me, Paul, how can you go face to face with somebody selling you a, a child and not have them see the, the anger and the hatred in your eyes? And my answer surprises them. And, and, so, and some people, it makes them mad. Here's what it is. It's, I don't hate them. Now, I'm not, I'm not a pedophile sympathizer. Don't get me wrong. I have put my life in danger 
many, many times to ensure that they never hurt innocence again, right? I, I, I've, I, I've literally almost died a number of times because of the fact that, that those guys should not be ever in a position where they can pass that trauma on anymore. However, the thing that I wish more than anything is that I could go back five or 10 years before I had a time machine and I can go back and meet that guy before he ever crossed that line mm -hmm. and say, what is going on in your life? What happened to you as a child? Chances are they were raped as children. You don't just grow up and say, hey, I want to go to Columbia and do these horrible things. No, they had some trauma. Now that does not justify their behavior because they had a thousand bad decisions they made on top of that trauma as well. But what if, what if we could stop that back then? We could have saved all those kids before they ever traumatized in the first place. Now, we don't have a time machine, but what we do have is hundreds of millions of men who have dealt with some kind of trauma in their life that are holding on to it because they think it makes them less of a man for talking about it. If we can help them release that, love them, come together as, as warriors of light, of protectors of innocence, and change how we see ourselves first so that then we can change how we see other people, mm -hmm. especially women. Guys who, who mistreat women despise themselves. So we need to help them learn how to forgive themselves, love themselves, work through their issues so that they can share that love appropriately with the women in their life. I always say it starts with the work we do within ourselves that helps us show up for other people, kind of like putting our oxygen, oxygen mask on first in the plane. We need to heal ourselves, take care of ourselves. You can't heal what you don't reveal, which is why doing this work is so important and seeking that professional help is important, especially if you need it. And there is no shame in that. What are some signs, some telltale signs or things we can be more attentive of in public, in uh, in our families, or in the areas around us with others that can help us identify maybe what might be happening right under our noses. Yeah. Um, first signs to be watching for is is in the kids themselves. You know, a lot of guys are like, ah, oh, you know, she's she's 13 years old. She's going through this hormonal change. That's why what's going on. Not always. You know, there there chances are she's coming into this level of maturity and she's getting some some negative interactions from guys at school or from a big brother of one of her friends or an uncle or whatever else. And so, so having a close relationship there where you can talk through those things is super important with your kids and, um, and be also very, very aware of what's going on on their social media. Uh, there's no reason for them to be public. They can share their stuff with their friends, but being public is super dangerous. We've, we've taken down a number of trafficking organizations that their victims, many of them were being brought in by them scouring the social media and finding out what, you know, what, what kids were in certain areas at certain times and et cetera. And so um, it's important that you, you depublicize your, your kids' social media and be watching what's going on there. Uh, from a pornography standpoint, um, no. Understand this, every, every guy who's listening to us has seen pornography. It doesn't mean you're going to become a pedophile. But every single one of these guys that we arrested started out with a hardcore addiction. And, and guys are like, well, I'm not addicted. Well, 
the very second that you take a woman from a divine feminine to an object, you start going down the wrong road. Okay. When we're commoditizing each other, in fact, this goes for everything across the board. You cannot look at another human being, whether they have a different gender, a different skin color, a different religion, a different politics, it doesn't matter. The very second you look at another human being as below you for any reason, for their financial, their checkbook, it doesn't matter, right? And, and start thinking of them as something that can be used for your own good. And this is the case of pornography, right? And here's the thing too. Guys are like, oh, it's a victimless crime. I'm not really hurting anybody. I'm in the privacy of my own office. The majority of those women are not there by choice. That's not just pornography. This is the this is the girls who are out there working the street. They're on the you know the the online ads and everything else. We've we've taken down so many networks where the girls, the ones that are 25, 27 years old, that these guys are thinking she's independent, she's making choices. This is an adult making a choice with another adult. No, it's not. Okay. These girls are being controlled by fear. The numbers are upwards of 80, 85% or more estimated. Mm-hmm of those girls that are that are in those positions are being controlled, being controlled through fear, saying, I know where your mother lives. I know where your sister lives. You don't tell anybody about this arrangement we have of you bringing home this much money every single night from prostituting yourself. It happens all the time. And so you are contributing to human trafficking if you're engaging in those activities, number one. Number two, you don't understand what's going on in your own mind if you think that you can be loyal to your wife while you're cheating on her with your computer. It just doesn't happen, right? So as real men, we need to take a step back and say, okay, what is a healthy relationship and what do I need to do to shed some of these addictions in my life so that I can really be a man of integrity? Absolutely. Um, I have two more questions and I'm going to kind of transition us back to a little bit of a lighter note to finish off but <laughs> with the with the 70 undercover rescue missions you've been a part of either leading or playing a role in across 15 countries um which one of the one you can speak of if any uh sticks out the most well the the one we made the movie sound of freedom was the the biggest one with 120 victims there um there's Perhaps. one that what's that I was gonna say perhaps one that we we might not know of. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. Um, <laughs> it's the one that the media is all over me on, but I'm I'm just gonna tell it because this is how it goes down. We we uh, I got a phone call from the uh, guys working with the Mexican head head of um, the federal police. I was in Texas at the time. They said there's been a huge uptick in trafficking that's going on in and around the Cabo San Lucas area. We would like to figure out where it's coming from. Now, it worked really well. By this time, I wasn't the rich playboy coming in posing as a guy buying the kids. I was doing deep cover, right? I was two in the morning in downtown Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I was two in the morning in downtown Mexico City connecting with guys who were selling children, geotagging their locations, figuring out where they're keeping them, et cetera. This is a, this is a dark, dirty, dangerous thing to be doing. And, um, but it was super rewarding because of the number of victims that are back with their families today. So we went in because the, 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 the federal police are like, listen, we can't get in with these guys because they're selling kids to Americans. Right. And so you have to be as, you have to look like me, right. To be down there looking like a party or whatever. And so we fly in and immediately there's, there's multiple guys that are, that are there on the beach and other areas that are offering us drugs, offering us 
children, after his girls, everything, saying, hey, you know, we set up parties for Americans all the time. We've got 14 years, a 14-year-old, 12-year-old, whatever. And the goal is to figure out where they're getting them from. There was so much going on. I needed to get to their boss, right? And so sure enough, we got to their boss. This guy's like six foot three, big dude, really dangerous. Everybody was cowering to him. Everybody said, be careful with this guy. He's really dangerous. But he was the guy that was supplying the kids for these guys that were putting on the parties. And uh, um, I'm, I changed his name just so I don't get shot. But he, uh, uh, we call him on, on, on online here, we call him uh, Diego. So Diego, six foot three, big, scary dude. And he was taking us. He, 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 everybody said he had access to kids. And uh, I needed to find out for sure where he's keeping them. And so I said, listen, you know, my boss is going to uh, have a party in a couple of weeks. We're setting up something for him. But I got I to gotta verify you have what he's looking for, right? And so he says, all right, come here, come here, come here. Well, then he goes into this club. And uh, I'm like, you know what? We're not going we're not going to a strip club. You're, you're wasting my time. They're abuelas. They're all grandmas there. You know, but he was, he was testing us. And that's, you can read about that in the tabloids. It was a, it was a very dangerous place. We were there for the kids. Well, then he introduces me to his boss. He said, he said, you know, I'm the king, right? And I said, what do you mean? He's on the boss. I said, oh yeah, it's very obvious. You're the boss of this whole city. He said, well, every boss has a boss. And I'm taking you to see my boss. He's in charge. He's in charge of everything from uh, Mexicali, Tijuana, all the way down to Cabo. His family's in charge of most of Mexico. I said, really? Who's his family? He said, his uncle is El Chapo. I'm like, oh, crap, right? Now, we found out later that he wasn't tied into El Chapo's family at all, but he was, he was a man in charge, very, very dangerous man, and running trafficking of all the children in that area and, uh, and a bunch of other things as well. And meeting with him, you know, I had already gotten tested with the, with the other trafficker and you can read it online. He, he basically brought one of the, the stripper girls down. She was obviously over 18 years old. He's like, you know, she's 16 and pulls up her, 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 her blouse and grabs my hand. And I'm like, you know, so I called my, my agent in charge and he said, yeah, that thing happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Plus she was identified as over 18 when, but she was still trafficked. And the thing that makes me so happy it doesn't matter whether she was 16, 18, or 24. She will never, ever be in a position where somebody is trying to force her in any way. You know, she's back with her family now. We, we rescued all these kids. Well, then he takes me to see his boss. And his boss had multiple bodyguards with guns on us. And, and he has me pull out my phone before we even go through a lot of stuff. And he goes, show me your phone. He pulls out my phone. And uh, he said, now, give me your phone number. And I, I had my undercover number memorized and it was on my card. And as soon as his number rang through on my phone, he smiled knowing that, you know, I had all of my undercover stuff set up, but we would have gotten shot right there. And then he ends up showing us some other kids, brings 23 children to this, uh, this party, the rescue. So, you know, there's a lot, that's a two hours in five minutes there, but uh, my, I'll have a podcast coming out in the next, um, that'll have all of the details on that uh, in the yeah. near future. But, uh, but yeah, things get, things get dicey there, but the, the bottom line is, is that it's worth it for me and our trained team to put our lives in that situation, knowing that those children will never be trafficked by those guys. We can put them in jail for good. And so, and I've got hundreds of different stories like that that are out there, but 
anyway, the, 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 there's a beautiful light at the end of the tunnel on every one of these things. These kids are back with their families today. Uh, the adults are getting the education they need, adults meaning those 17, 18-year-olds that were tied into the same rings, getting their education today. Now, here's something I think is important. Back at the time of Abraham Lincoln, before the Civil War, it wasn't, it wasn't the guys rescuing the slaves that created the biggest difference. It was people like you. It was people who were influencers. It was Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin, which mm -hmm. was the media of the age. And it created an awareness with good people of what was going on in the South. In fact, yeah. years later, when Abraham Lincoln met her, he shook her hand. He said, so you're the little lady that wrote the book that started the big war, <laughs> right? So today, guys like you who have a voice, who are, who are spreading this message of truth and light and love, that's how we're going to fix this problem on a global scale. Well, I certainly do appreciate that, Paul. And I think you're on the front lines of it. And I'm in a, a cushy, comfortable studio. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I, I certainly think you're you're getting a little dirtier than I am through the through the fight. But <laughs> well, um, I'm out of that work now. I can't do undercover. After your face is out like this, you can't do what we used to do. I imagine the cat is a little bit out of the bag. But um, kind of transitioning into that, being in those situations, I, I imagine you mentioned how trained your team is training with the CIA Navy SEALs. Be honest, man. How'd you do? <laughs> those guys are, I'll tell you what, those guys are awesome. They're awesome. But, yeah. but I will say this, the most effective undercover guys that I've ever worked with, um, weren't guys that were trained with night vision goggles and a sniper on the roof. Right. Mm -hmm. they, they were guys like, uh, guys like Joseph. Joseph was a, he was a, like a double, triple back black belt Krav Maga trainer, right? He's one of the top in the world. He goes back to Israel once a year and trains the trainers type of a guy, right? Mm -hmm. And he can deal with everything with his bare hands. He doesn't need a gun and a knife and whatever to know if things go down, he can deal with it. And so that level of confidence without having to have your head on a swivel all the time was very, very effective. And, and guys like, like Jimmy, I'm like, Jimmy, Jimmy was uh, he was a real estate dude. I mean, he was a he had a real estate brokerage and had a lot of energy, but he spoke spoke fluent Spanish and had done a bunch of training with hand to hand combat. But his ability to communicate and just get people to trust him and whatever, whether it was for buying a house or selling a child, right? He was so good at being able to use those God given gifts of of being able to communicate and and convince these traffickers to take us to where they were holding the kids or to bring out these kids for the party, whatever else. And so those, those were some of the best operators I worked with. Um, we were trained, all of us, me, Jimmy, Joseph, and, and others were all trained by some Navy SEAL guys and, and, and Green Berets and CIA guys, et cetera. But, you know, there were different courses and classes and whatever else. I mean, my, my gun handling is really good, but you don't have guns when you're in those positions. You, you've, yeah. got, you've got to be thinking on your feet. And the truth be known, um, the skills that we use to find these kids weren't something you learn in the military anyway. Yeah, They were, I'm writing a book that'll be coming out probably first part of next year called, Are You Listening With My Hand on My Heart? Not with my hand on my ear, but with my hand on my heart. And Ted, every single one of these missions, I felt divinely inspired to know where to go to find the kids and what to do to keep the team safe, et cetera. I, I believe God looks down at what's happening with, you know, our business life and whatever. He's like, you adults deal with that. 
He sees what's happening with these kids and says, no way. If I've got good people, good men and women willing to do the work, I'm, I'm going to pave the way. And I saw so many miracles in that space. So, you know, it's, it's a different work. We're not, we're not fighting with missiles. We're fighting against the darkness of this world, the, the, the evil designs of, of people who would, who would sell a child for something that horrible. And so yeah. in, in fighting that deep evil, we had to tie into something much greater than ourselves. Absolutely. And I appreciate you highlighting because we could hear a lot about some of the evils that that's being done, but also highlighting the good men who are using the training, the gifts uh, of what they have to fight that evil, because we, we, we know the quote, in order for evil to thrive, it requires good men to do nothing. And that is a call for the good men listening to, to step up and, and step forward. Um, and, and you, you kind of alluded to it briefly earlier, and I just wanted to come into the end of the podcast, give you an opportunity to address uh, a full on. You mentioned some some media, maybe some flack coming back uh, for whatever's being said. Wanted to give you an opportunity to address that directly in your own words with what your your thoughts rebuttals Absolutely. are to that. Well, I, I will say this. So there, there's been a lot of pushback with the uh, Sound of Freedom movie right from the beginning. You have to understand where it's coming from. You know, is this is media that didn't want this message to come out. So that's number one. Number two, it's important to understand that the first five years of my work was with a former organization and a Homeland Security agent who Jim Caviezel plays in the movie. I made a hard separation with Operation Underground Railroad with Tim Ballard. I, I, I separated five years ago um, for, some, for some reasons that you're seeing now that's coming out in the media and, uh, and some other personal reasons as well. And so make, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but I, I chose to take a very different road in, in, uh, in moving forward. Now, before I did that separation, we had, you know, I, I touched on the one story and the only thing, the media that's coming out right now on me, and this is, this is crap. It is what it is. It said, you know, producer of sound of freedom movie, uh, touches the breast of a victim while undercover. Okay. So back up to that story that I was saying earlier, I'm standing there next to this six foot three guy who everybody cowered to. He takes us to the strip club and I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry, we're not going in there. That's not what my boss is looking for, whatever. These, I knew that these girls, in order to even get a job there, they were, they were identified with their, with their, you know, and that federal police would shut them down if they were employing minors, right? So I already knew there weren't any minors there, but whatever, I'm placating this guy, gaining his trust because I need him to take me to where the kids really are, right? And the manager brings down this girl. I'm married to a Latina. My wife is 47 years old and looks the same age as this girl he brought down, right? And he's like, she's 16. I'm like, no, bullshit, right? But whatever. So she's standing there in front of me. The manager pulls up her, her blouse. The trafficker grabs my hand and I'm like, okay, if I pulled it away, we would have, our lives would have been in danger and we would have lost those 23 kids. So yeah, I, I, I touched her boob and said, yep, yep, yep. That's what my boss is looking for. Now, this was the first time that ever happened. The only time that ever happened where the trafficker did that. So immediately I called the, the former CIA guy who was running operations and I told him the whole report. He wrote down the details of everything that I said. And he said, Paul, you're good. You're good. You've got full authority from the federal police in Mexico. And, you know, and, and later when we did the rescue, we found out she wasn't even a minor anyway, but I told him this guy said that she was, well, how do I handle it? Whatever. So unfortunately when the media was, was, 
subpoena trying to get all of the records from that foundation operation underground railroad on so they could get more information on tim and the things he was doing which i didn't agree with that's why i left as part of that download of stuff they get this report of me calling in concerned that one of the undercover rescue missions the trafficker did this so i think the average person looks at that and says whatever this dude was undercover there was 23 kids that were rescued from that mission so i'm i'm not worried about it at all but Unfortunately, you've got Yahoo and Bing and, you know, everybody picking up the story from Vice that says producer of Sound of Freedom movie gropes a, gropes a victim. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I certainly can understand, which is why I wanted to give you that opportunity to clear it up for any of our listeners, anyone who might be familiar with the story, it, hear it from the source, right? Which is yeah. one of the opportunities I wanted to give you. And I also want to make sure to give our audience an opportunity to to follow you, connect with you, and provide more wind in your sails for the mission that you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. And please, what are the links where folks can find you and connect? Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. So you can find me all over social media. Just type in liberating with an ING, liberating humanity. On social media, you just put a dot between liberating dot humanity and you'll pull me up. Or you can just go to www.liberatinghumanity.com. There'll be a lot of great information for you there, uh, links to different podcasts, including this one when it comes out. Um, it'll be uh, places that you can uh, participate with us on uh, on healing retreats and events and things like that, especially for men, for us all to come together and say, okay, how can we work through our stuff together, hold, our, hold each other accountable and, and work through this? Or you can go to find the Child Liberation Foundation. You can just go to Liberate Children. Dot org liberatechildren.org now that's that that's not the ing like the others the others are liberating humanity but liberatechildren.org and you can get involved donate a dollar a month five dollars and donate five thousand dollars a month and figure out how to help kids and if you want to get really involved with uh, with some stuff then reach out to us on there i'd love to love to work with you and if you have some stages of, of big audiences i'm I'm no longer undercover and I'd love to share and uh, and speak to your people as well. So thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And and Paul, I'll have those links in the show notes so folks can open up whatever app they're listening to, or if they're on YouTube, they can just open up the description and get those links directly right now. And thank you for coming out from undercover so we could appreciate the work that you've been doing when you were undercover and, and for the men and women and all those who are still working on this mission, perhaps on the front lines, in the danger zone. We, we think of them and we thank them for the work as well. And just opening up our eyes to how we can, can take the step forward in the right direction and help. So Paul, this has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Super grateful for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm going to quickly recap some of the gems you left along the way, just for anybody who might be in the car driving or working out while listening. And I appreciate you making it all the way to the end. I know this was a longer one, but it's because it was just so important. And if you're not willing to fail, you're not going to get the success that you hope for. We start with how we can learn how to fail and what we can learn from failure and advance ourselves to a to a realm in which we can pour into others. And here's the interesting thing. Paul said, make the decision today. Don't wait until your failure leads you to success to pour into the world and into the community. You can make that choice today and do it percentage-wise, not dollar-wise. 10% of 100,000 might not sound like a lot, but 10% of a million, when you become that person, your giving grows as well. Have you thought this through? 
Imagine getting a phone call that changes your life. Imagine getting a phone call where you're on the sidelines to getting in the game. What decision will you make? Paul decided to put the helmet on and get in the game and play. Even so, with a business partner saying, have you thought this through? For many of us, the things that we will regret on our deathbed aren't what we uh, stick to in the safe route. It's those risks that we take in life. So I urge you, responsibly, of course, don't casually travel through life to safely arrive at death. Shed your trauma. Go through healing that needs to be done. Hug your children because the greatest thing you can do to fight human trafficking and child trafficking is creating a safe home for you, your family, the kids in your house, in your family, and being aware of what's going on around you and no reason for your kids to have a public social media platform. Guys, thank you so much for making it to the end. I would love for you to leave us a comment, a rating, to let us know how we're doing. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode each and every single week. And you already know what I'm going to ask. Share this with somebody you know will get value from it as well. It's the best compliment you can give us. We'll catch you guys next time. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain. But you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. Let's get back to the next day. I think we're going to do a great job.